0: as our brother Ethan opens up your word this morning and preaches. In the name of, of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. If you're in kids today, you are dismissed to go downstairs with that lovely group of people back there. Uh, like Jeremy said earlier, my name is Ethan Fordham. I serve as a deacon here. I'm, I'm grateful to have a, Uh, this opportunity to come and and preach God's word um, to everyone here. Now, before I jump into my uh, introductory story, because it's a personal story, I just want to let everybody know that I got permission to tell this story, and that there is much peace now between the two people involved in this story. It's, it's a sensitive topic because I'm going to tell you about the time that I wanted to murder my brother. <laughs> right? So we used to work together. Um, we would drive from Fulton to Liverpool uh, every single morning. The shift starts at 6.30. we leave it like, you know, 5.30. It's a long drive. But on one particular morning, it was it was snowing really, really bad. It was a really bad snowstorm. And under any other circumstance, we would constantly, every morning, stop at a gas station and spend way too much money on frivolous items for the day. Well, on this particular morning, during the snowstorm, we leave a little earlier because we don't want to be late. And so we're, we're getting up, and here's the gas station. It's basically in sight. And I turn over to... To Seth, and I say, hey, we're going to stop at the gas station, right? This is all before Jesus, by the way. Um, Say, we're going to stop at the gas station, right? And he says, no. No. What do you mean, no? Seth, stop at the gas station. I need some breakfast. Uh, You know, I want some uh, energy drinks. But he says, no. So I don't want to be late. It's like, I'm starting to kind of get frustrated. Like, Seth, what are you, we're not gonna be late. We're not gonna be late. We're like 30 minutes early and we're 10 minutes down the road. Please stop at the gas station. He's just like, when he yelled at? I don't remember, but he's like, I'm not stopping. And I'm like, Seth, stop at the gas station. <laughs> and I'm starting to lose my mind. And he's losing his mind right back at me. I am freaking out. I'm cussing him out. I am just, it, I am angry. My anger began to boil over into hatred. At that moment, when my brother would not fulfill my expectations, would not give me what I wanted, I responded in hatred and anger right, and such an insignificant thing really disrupted that and many other things, really disrupted our relationship for years, for many years. And at that moment, my feelings, thoughts, and words revealed what was in my heart. Anger and murder. Murder were in my heart. I would have hurt my brother if I knew I wouldn't also have gotten hurt because he was driving. (laughs) So we're going back to Matthew. We're in this section on the Sermon on the Mount that extends from uh, chapter 5, verse 17 through uh, verse 48. And in this we see... In the Sermon on the Mount, we see Jesus, he's he's coming up on the mount, and he's giving the law to his disciples. He's coming as a new Moses. Moses went up on Sinai, Jesus comes up on the mount, and we get the law from Jesus. And in it, he's showing us, he's opening up the law to show us what it means to be his disciple, what it means and what it looks like to be his follower And Jesus is concerned with getting at the heart of the law, and specifically this morning, the heart of the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. And as we begin, we need to ask ourselves, as Jesus gets at the heart of the sixth command, are we willing to see what it says about our hearts? So if you would this morning, please turn to Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. It's going to be on the screens. Open your Bibles. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. This is the word of the Lord. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is God's word, and all of God's people say amen. In the early 90s, uh, there was this television show on uh, the BBC called Keeping Up Appearances. I don't know if anybody here has seen Keeping Up Appearances. It's an awesome show. It's very funny. It's a comedy. But the show is about, uh, it's made female lead, Hyacinth Bucket. Hyacinth Bucket uh, was all about how she appeared on the outside. She was all about putting on a show for her neighbors, making everybody think that she was of a higher class than she actually was. Always wearing a fancier dress, even changing the way she spoke when she answers the phone, and even insisting that people uh, don't, call, don't pronounce her last name Bucket, but Bouquet. <laughs> See, Hyacinth Bucket was all about keeping up appearances. She was all about how she appeared on the outside. And what we get in the opening verses here in this passage is Jesus is responding to those who are all about how they appeared in relation to the law. How they looked on the outside, right? So if you look at verse 21, and the first part of verse 22, it says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, here Jesus is responding to the scribes and the Pharisees of his day, the religious elites, the religious leaders, the scholars, the teachers. And right, we don't know a whole lot about these groups' origins, and they probably started with some very good intentions. But what happened, and what we see what happened well, over time, is their teaching on the law became nothing more than this external, um, how they kept up an appearances, how they looked on the outside. Their teaching neglected the deeper implications of the law and really even gave license to, to sinning in, in regards to this law. So when Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I say to you, he's doing, he's doing two things. He's affirming the Old Testament law, and he's, going, and he's expounding on it. Right, and if you didn't grow up in the church, or you're new to the faith, uh, the sixth command is a part of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were laws that were given to the people of Israel um, on Mount Sinai uh, we read about that in Exodus 20. They're the laws that governed the people. All of their other laws flowed out of these Ten Commandments. And they really were unique. Uh, God wrote them on tablets of stone with his finger. They have, and they really are a, a reflection of God's character and God's nature. And they did two things. They, they taught his people, how to love God and how to love their neighbor. And as Jesus is reaffirming this commandment and re-delivering it to his disciples, he reminds us that God is and always has been concerned with issues pertaining to the preservation of life and the judgment of those who do not. Right, So this law doesn't just simply appear in Exodus 20 out of nowhere. We actually see it often throughout the book of Genesis itself. So for three examples, Adam in the garden, God gives Adam this law in the garden. When he says, don't eat of the, tri- the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day that you eat it, you'll die. It's really a command, don't murder, specifically yourself. Or the rest of mankind. Of course, Adam fails and brings death on himself and all of us. And then Cain, in a scuffle with his brother, committing the first act of murder. He murders his brother. And then he suffers a curse for doing so. And then Noah, when they come out of the ark after the floods subside. And God reaffirms his covenant that he had made with Adam. He reaffirms it with Noah in very similar words, but adds a line about murder, that anyone who unjustly takes life shall have his life taken from him. When we look at these examples When we think about the sixth commandment, you shall not murder, we see what God is like. That our God is a God of life. The God that we worship is a God who defends life and punishes murder. It's a reflection of God's very nature. And this is a cause for great hope as well that our God is a God of life, that he defends life, that he protects life, and that he will be a just judge against those who do not. So that's right. That's it. We're good. I haven't killed anybody. I'm sure many of us haven't I don't think we've, any of us have killed anybody. We're good. We haven't murdered anyone. Therefore, we are not liable to judgment. Unfortunately not. You see, that would be the similar surface level understanding of this law that the scribes and the Pharisees were teaching. See, the scribes and the Pharisees were satisfied with the fact that they hadn't actually killed anyone. But they failed to grasp the command and the righteousness of God's kingdom. As Jesus' disciples, he desires more for us. So Jesus goes on. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. We can all be a little easily frustrated, right? Like it doesn't take much to kind of set us off. Driving in the car, dude just cut me off. Yep. <sighs> what an idiot. <laughs> Coworker messed up something. Dude, are you stupid? Why would you do it like that? We've been doing it the same way for 20 years. Why would you do it like that? Spouse says something in the wrong tone. Why would you say it like that? See, where their anger is what you struggle with the most, we see that There are moments when our relationships cause friction, and we indeed respond in anger. In these moments, right, we feel something in us. It doesn't even, it's not even taking form, right? You almost, you can, you have a sense about it when you feel angry. It's almost like, uh, right, like uh, you take and you put a pot of water on the stove, okay, and you turn the heat on, right? That's the heat of our anger, right? We, could do, we don't, don't know necessarily how to describe it, but we know when that heat's on. We know what it is like to feel that anger. And that's really what we see here is Jesus is telling us about degrees of, sort of from the lowest and most insignificant form of anger to the explosion of, of hatred, that there are degrees, right? So he says, uh, um, everyone who is angry with his brother, right? That's when that little bit of friction, we get angry, we feel it within us. That's the heat turning on. And then he moves on, he says, whoever insults his brother. Now, I like the way other Bibles actually translate this portion, this little sentence here. It doesn't just say everyone who insults his brother. It says... Uh, in other Bibles, uh, whoever says to his brother or calls his brother Raka. right? Not a word that we're familiar with by any means. When I saw that word, I was like, "I have no idea what that means." I had to look it up. But Raka, is a it's a it's an Aramaic word, and it basically means something like uh, "empty-headed," uh, "good good for nothing," or in our own modern Uh, terms, idiot, right? So the heat gets turned on and then we, it begins, the the water begins to boil and now we're basically resorting to name calling, right? There's this sense of pride and anger in us and we start to degrade the dignity of people around us. We start to speak uh, little of them. Matthew Henry comments that raka is a scornful word and that it comes from pride. Right, when we start insulting, what we're doing is we're elevating ourselves above someone else and we're belittling them. We're making them worthless with the words that we use against them. Right, and if that that's not even where it stops. Now, The water boils over. This last degree, Jesus says, is whoever says, You fool, you fool. The gravity of that is much more severe than maybe even it sounds. It sounds like Raka might be, You fool, but You fool is really, it's hatred, it's abject hatred. The anger, it's when the anger in our hearts gives way to an explosion of hateful words. I wonder if you know exactly what Jesus is telling us here. How often we let our anger get the best of us how often we allow our anger to degrade those around us right in the car someone's going a little slow this is just a prime example right who doesn't get mad while driving i'm going to make that i'm going to use that example a lot this morning or at home when the kids aren't behaving Or at work, right, if you're an employee, these bosses just don't seem to understand. Or if you're a boss, right, your employees, what are they, they're just wasting my time, aren't they? Or when we're reading the newspaper or watching the news, politicians... I mean, even recently, Syracuse.com is is shutting down their comment section, and I can imagine why. (laughs) Social media, when we destroy other people for having a different opinion. And right, I get it. Sometimes we get angry. And in this passage, Jesus isn't even condemning all anger. There is a... Righteous and justifiable anger. Jesus was righteously angry. Elihu, in the book of Job, was righteously angry at Job and his friends. But I wonder, so much of our anger is not righteous. It is not justifiable. So much of it comes from pride. So much of it is just aimed at shooting arrows to those people around us who tick us off, frustrate us, or we just maybe just don't like. Brothers and sisters, we must not allow our anger to destroy our neighbors. We must not allow our angry passion to overflow in murderous rage toward other people we ought to flee from any thought feeling or word that would do any harm to anyone in our life right and jesus tells us that that those who are angry they're going to come under scrutiny we read okay so it says everyone who's angry with his brother liable to judgment insults his brother liable to the council says you fool liable to the hell of fire we are liable for our angry passion what jesus is really what he's saying is that our anger it's just as punishable as murder it's just as punishable Andrew Fuller wrote that Jesus is revealing degrees of evil there were, short of actual murder, that threatens a man's soul. When you lash out in anger, do you know the damage that that does to yourself and to your neighbor? Brothers and sisters, Jesus has saved us from our sins. But we ought to be on guard against any feeling of anger that tends towards sin. Though the Spirit has given us a new life, we do battle in this life against the old self. We do battle against the anger that still indwells our hearts. And right in Jesus in giving this command, it is a gracious and wonderful thing. He doesn't do it because he wants to freak us out or like trouble us in our assurance. He does it because he is showing us what it means to be his follower and uh, what how to please God. How to obey his commands. He's being crystal clear with his disciples. We ought to be cautious about the subtle destruction our anger can produce. We Uh, When we feel anger rising up within us, we ought to remember Jesus and pursue the righteousness of his kingdom, to put to death the anger that is within us and to pursue uh, the holiness of his kingdom. And in those moments, trust that the Spirit will grant to you peaceful obedience The external command is important. Do not murder. But the internal command is equally important. Be aware that murder starts in the heart. It starts with anger. Ultimately, Jesus is teaching us that the righteousness of His kingdom, and specifically the sixth commandment, is a matter of the heart. But he also teaches us, really, how to apply this in our relationships. Jesus goes on. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Do you think... Any sin in your life is serious enough that it should prevent you from worshiping. That should actually keep you from coming and worshiping God. The law shows us how to love God and how to love neighbor. And the command against murder is a part of what many call the second table of the law. It pertains to love for neighbor right and if you want to know who your neighbor is spend some time in the parable of the Good Samaritan Um, Jesus basically he answers that question basically your neighbor is everyone in your life it's your spouse your kids the people who actually live next door to you it's the person uh, you interact with on social media it's uh, the person who checks you out at Wegmans Um, it's everybody that you happen to run into. And right, for Jesus' words here, we see that our neighbor, our relationship with our neighbor, has some bearing on our worship of God. In these verses, Jesus tells us that anger is a cause to put a pause on worship. Right, and this isn't, it's not to keep us from worshiping altogether. Right Jesus does say after you reconcile come back and offer your gift but what it really does is it illustrates to us the importance of the matter the seriousness of anger that it should spur us on to immediately reconcile with an offended neighbor Right? If you're being sick, if you're sorry, if you're sick, right, you immediately go to the doctor. You don't go to work, hopefully. Or if you hurt your child accidentally or on purpose, you pick them up. You hold them. You ask their forgiveness. You don't just leave them there to get over it. you accidentally or sorry if you cause your neighbor's anger you don't go sorry you ought to pursue immediate reconciliation you don't go about worshiping like nothing happened god is most concerned with our hearts in worship and the command is a matter of the heart We need to stop and think about how our feelings, thoughts, and words have offended our neighbor, right? And we often think that what Jesus is saying is that we need to, uh, when we're angry with someone, that we need to go reconcile with them, right? And that's a good thing. We should do that. If you're angry with someone... You should, it's a good thing to confess that to them. Don't let that fester. But that's not exactly what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, if your brother has something against you, leave your gift and be reconciled to him. Right? Jesus is talking about if you have either intentionally or uh, unintentionally offended or your brother or have caused it, his anger that you ought to go and be reconciled with him right when you are in worship examine your heart and reckon with whether or not you are at odds with your neighbor if you have done something to offend him jesus says in that moment of realization when you recognize that you might have done something to cause your neighbor to be angry that yo we ought to go out of our way to pursue peace with our neighbor we ought to immediately go out of our way we ought to even inconvenience ourselves for the cause of peace with our neighbors right And this doesn't even this isn't even like we've intentionally done something, or we've actually we know for a fact that we've caused an offense. Right? Our neighbor might be mad for totally unjustified reasons, but that's beside the point. We go and we pursue peace with them. We go under any chance and any circumstance that we've offended a neighbor. We go to them and we seek peace. We seek reconciliation. Right, we're usually concerned and understand how our sin affects ourselves. But man, how does it affect our neighbors? How does our sinful anger or anything uh, affect our neighbor's heart, if we cause them anger, do we care? Do we care if our neighbor is angry? Right? Jesus says murder is a matter of the heart. And when we seek reconciliation with our neighbor, we do it for love of their heart. Right? It's almost like calling somebody off the tracks, like the train is coming, or off of the ledge. Don't go over there. Listen, I'm sorry for whatever happened. Please forgive me. Don't be angry. Be at peace. Let's be at peace together. You know, we ought to pursue peace with our neighbor for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of their soul. Right, we might be able to think that we can just brush it off, right? If our neighbor is angry with us, like if he thinks you're a jerk, like whatever, he's a jerk. I'm good. That puts them under threat. That creates a roadblock for the gospel when we allow our neighbors to fester in anger that we've potentially caused. We ought to pursue peace with our neighbors for the sake of the gospel. And if they're not a believer, for the sake of their soul. For the sake of being able to present to, to them the truth of God's word. But we also do this because we ought to be concerned with our neighbor's earthly life. Right? Like It's not just a matter a, a, a spiritual matter. It's also physical, and emotional. We don't just love our neighbors by not killing them. (laughs) We don't even just love our neighbors by only presenting them the gospel. We also love our neighbors by defending their life. Defending them by fighting for them. Right. One uh, Christian catechism puts it this way, and if you're unfamiliar with the catechism, it's basically a series of questions and answers that is a way of teaching Christian doctrine. And so one catechism puts it this way. The question is, is it enough then that we do not murder our neighbor in any such way? The answer, no. By condemning envy, hatred, and anger, God wants us to love our neighbors as ourselves, to be patient, peace-loving, gentle, merciful, and friendly toward them, to protect them from harm as much as we can, and to do good even to our enemy. What a difference it would make if the, all of Christ's people here at Renovation Church in North Syracuse were radically committed to an attitude of peace, patience, gentleness, mercy, and friendship toward everyone in our lives, knowing the love of Christ, we should have a deep sense and urgency. When there is disorder between us and our neighbors. For those who are in Christ, for those who are at peace with God because of Jesus' work in salvation, let us be a people known for making peace. Right? We just saw it in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemaker, for they shall be called sons of God. The righteousness of the sixth, of the kingdom in the sixth commandment is a matter of the heart. And it urges us to seek peace with our neighbor under any and every circumstance. But Jesus goes on verses 25 and 26. He says, Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. At the end of the day, I think we're all a little too willing to defend ourselves. And for any fan of Law & Order, you see that in every episode, right? Who doesn't love Law & Order? Love Law & Order. But we see in that, right, the judge stands behind the bench, or sits behind the bench, leans over, asks the defendant's lawyer, how does your defendant plead? not guilty your honor right like and he honestly in a court system people have the rights to defend themselves against an accusation but we're sitting there watching this show and we might have even seen that dude commit that crime they just don't know they have to investigate but we've seen it happen like that dude's defending his rights but we know he's guilty we know he's guilty And at the end of the day, right, if we're all being honest with ourselves, we do this with our anger. We're all so willing to defend and justify our thoughts, our feelings, and our words, right? So often we're like, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Much anger is sinful, but you don't know my coworkers or my spouse maybe or my in-laws or my kids i had good reason to be mad like i said righteous like i said earlier righteous anger is possible and we ought to hate what god hates But man, so much of the anger that we harbor in our hearts, so much of the anger that lashes out against our neighbor is unjustifiable. And it's hateful. And sometimes we do allow our anger to boil over in such a way that we do real harm and real damage to people. And in those moments... When an accuser accuses us, when somebody brings an accusation against us, we ought to be so quick to come to terms with them in order to maintain peace. So quick. We ought not to defend our rights. And we ought to do this even in relation to an enemy. Right? Someone we don't even, we really don't like, or someone that, again, I don't know how many enemies many of us have, but it could be somebody who's gunning for your job, somebody who just seems like they have it out for you. Even to an enemy, even if in their being, them being your enemy, you've lashed out in anger, man, we don't defend our rights. We don't defend our rights to be angry. We pursue peace when somebody has offended you. Or you, sorry, when you you have offended someone, we don't defend ourselves. And right, this passage really shows us that some kind of satisfaction needs to be made. Right, like we can amend a relationship with an enemy and a neighbor, we can win them over. But Jesus' statement truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny should actually deeply concern us because the reality is is God is an accuser against any and every sinner and is a just judge of sinners. God knows, he knows the anger In our hearts, he knows our unrighteousness, right? We can amend it, racial relationship with a neighbor, but we could never satisfy the demands of God's law, his righteousness, and our breaking of his law. We could never satisfy that, truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Matthew Henry comments that the sinner in hell, that the wrath of God will always be in the satisfying, but never satisfied. What are we to do? What are we to do? We are guilty of this sinful anger, of in malice and in bitterness. And in anger and in pride, lashing out against our neighbors, even just harboring the smallest complaint in our hearts. We are guilty of being anger toward our neighbors in thought and in speech. We have belittled those around us and we have puffed ourselves up. And why? Because God is a good God and He must punish sin we must confess our sin lest God's righteous wrath, his righteous anger be burned against unrighteous anger God is an adversary for those who are angry and God is the judge who will punish but praise be to God for Jesus, right? We saw in the previous context when Jesus says he comes to fulfill the law, which he's done for us in this passage. He's shown us all of the deeper implications of the law, but we also know that Jesus comes to fulfill the law in that he walks, to, walks in perfect obedience, in perfect righteousness, that Jesus, his anger, was never unrighteous, and that he, when he was angry, it was always righteous, and that he did not, and under any circumstance, murder anyone nor his neighbor. He fulfills that law in that way, and then he also, upon the cross, bears God's righteous anger against our. Unrighteous anger, that God pours out his righteous anger on Jesus, that Jesus, who knew no unrighteous anger, was counted as one who was unrighteously angry on our behalf. And he bore our punishment on the cross. If you believe and belong to Jesus here today, trust that. And live in such a way that you are at peace with God. That that anger has ended. That there is now no more anger between yourself and the Lord. That you have been reconciled with God and that your sin has been justly judged in Jesus. And then you go. You pursue righteousness. You pursue peace with a neighbor. You pursue the righteousness of his kingdom. Man, and if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, Jesus is our only hope from God's righteous anger. He is our only hope from God's holy wrath. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you. And he will. You will find Jesus. You will find Jesus to be a perfect Savior. This is a heart matter. And God knows our hearts. We cannot hide that fact from him. But praise be to God for Jesus. Praise be to God for Jesus. What peace do we have with Jesus Christ, our Lord? What sweet consolation he gives us when anger creeps in. Brothers and sisters, the world should know us for the peace that we have with Christ. The world should know us for the peace that we desire and seek with our Neighbors, what peace and love and patience and graciousness we should pursue with our neighbors and even with our enemies. Having once been an enemy of God and being made right and at peace with him through Jesus Christ, what peace we should pursue with all people. Brothers and sisters, Having been made right with God, we pursue the righteousness of his kingdom and the sixth command from the heart. And as his disciples we go and pursue peace with our neighbors always. And right now I'm just going to pray. And I'm going to pray the words um, of a hymn. It's simple. But I hope it's all of our prayers here as we consider this God's law. And then as soon as I'm done, Jeremy will come up and administer the Lord's Supper. Pray with me. Righteous God, as day unfolds, we seek your will in all of life's demands. And though the tempter tries us still, we cling to your commands. Let every effort of our lives display the matchless love of Christ, worth of Christ. God, make us a living sacrifice. Be glorified today. We pray and we ask this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.